Turning your Bibles to Genesis 26, as we prepare to hear the word, here's a professional narration of this text, this whole chapter, 35 verses, with some pretty famous actors. I think you'll recognize some of their voices. There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerah. Then the Lord appeared to him. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerah, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife. Because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window, and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say, she is my sister? Because, I said, lest I die on account of her. What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people. He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks, and possessions of herds, and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley, and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. 
and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came up from Gira with Ahazoth, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was forty years old, he took his wives Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elan the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. All right, Genesis chapter 26. Today we're going to talk about living by God's promises. There's ten lessons from this text that will change our lives as we are people of faith. The heroes of the faith obtain promises through faith and patience. It takes endurance and it takes believing. Constant faith in trust in Almighty God. Our first point today is God's promises never mean there will be no problems. As soon as God gives us a promise, we get all excited, yay, yay, and then here comes a problem, and we would be tempted to fall apart. Right here in the first verse of Genesis 26, it says there was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. His father years earlier had done the same thing. Abimelech is a Philistine title for a king. No doubt it wasn't the same Abimelech, but it was a different Abimelech in the Negev Desert, the land of Gerar. Speaking of problems in the midst of God's promises, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So our confidence is in him, and our peace comes from him, and we can be assured there's going to be problems in the midst of apprehending his wonderful promises. Next point. God's promises often include more than one generation. When God gives you a big promise, it's to include your family in. It's going to outlast your life even. See, the faith that God gives isn't depending upon the longevity of the life of our bodies. His faith comes with his promises. His word is what gives us faith. And that faith produces what it promises. I mean, there's saints in the ground today awaiting the great resurrection, the ultimate promise that we're all contending for. Verse 2 says, The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. That's something his dad had done that probably he shouldn't have done. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you. 
This is the comforting promise of God. In the midst of our struggles and tribulations, He is with us. We're not alone. I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and beyond. He's the God of the generations. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. Why are the descendants of Israel the promised people? Why are they the chosen race? Because God initiated a friendship with their forefather. And he does not lie. He's holding true to his promise to this day. The text goes on. The Lord says to Isaac, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. Remember, he told his father Abraham the same thing. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There's a messianic promise. In your seed, singular, the whole world is going to be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, some people mistakenly think that all 613 laws of the Torah, because the word Torah is in this, but the word Torah simply means the law of God. Abraham lived according to the law of God that he knew that God had revealed to him. He did not have the law of Moses, but he had what he had. We see it recorded here in the Torah. Notice he promised to bless the world through his seed. And of course, we know this is the Messiah, but it's also a promise to the race. The nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews have been an incredible blessing to the world with inventions like you couldn't believe. They invented the flash drive. They invented the, the microscopic camera that you can swallow that can look around on your insides. They invented the firewall that protects our computers from viruses. They invented Waze, the GPS system that is in real time helping people around the world find their way around. They invented drip irrigation, where people who have very little water are able to survive now because of this wonderful technology. Look at all the corporations that have research and development centers in Israel. Why? Isaac was told his descendants would be a blessing to the world, and no doubt it is through these amazing inventions. Our next point, God's promises never mean we will not be tempted. God gives you a promise you think there's not going to be any problems. God gives you a promise you think you'll never be tempted to do wrong again. Look at what happened. Isaac dwelt in Gerar, as the Lord had told him, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. The name Rebekah means tethered, or haltered, or tied up. Her beauty was captivating. That was the meaning of her name. And she's so pretty, and Isaac determined in his own imagination, these guys are going to kill me because my wife's so beautiful. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment. The Hebrew word means he was caressing 
Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Well, remember, Abraham did this two other times. His were half lies. She was his half-sister. It's a weird deal. Uh, here, she's not his sister. She, well, technically, she's his second cousin, but she's not his sister. Why did he lie? Well, the Scriptures say that iniquity is passed down to our children to the third and fourth generation. That's why it's important to have the Lord set us free of our weaknesses because here's Abraham's son committing the same sin, if not a worse sin. Isaac's response to Abimelech's question is, because I said, lest I die on account of her. So he was tempted to sin. I wonder how Rebecca felt. Exposed, unprotected, not good. Probably had some marriage problems because of this mistake. Next point. Receiving God's promises includes being corrected when needed. Just because God gives you a promise, just because God gives you a vision, doesn't mean you never need correction again for the rest of your life. Abimelech corrects him. He says, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. Isaac was just thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about his wife, and he wasn't thinking about the people that would be in trouble with God. He didn't remind himself of the promise that he had. Hey, God promised me a great race, so I'm not going to be killed. What is, where is this fear coming from? But this is a reality of life. After a great spiritual experience, many times people can fall into some sort of sin. After a very accurate prophecy, people, if they're not careful, can give a pretty big false one. We see it even in our day. Verse 11, so Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So God is a God of restoration. And so he allows Isaac to be corrected by this heathen king. And then he blesses him in the midst of the heathens. And this, of course, creates our next point. Enjoying fulfilled promises can make people envious. When they see God's blessings in his life, they might be tempted to think, wait a minute, why is God blessing this guy? You remember what he did last year with his wife? Listen to this, verse 12. We just heard it read a few minutes ago. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. You know, that is an amazing thing. God can bless us with many times more than what we sow. Check it out sometime. How many seeds of corn an ear of corn holds? And how many ears of corn one stalk of corn can hold? God can bless you with way more than a hundredfold return. The man began to prosper, verse 13, and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. Now why would they do such a dumb thing? Well, maybe envy was part of it. Envy makes people do dumb things. They'll cut off their nose to spite their face, proverbially speaking. 
It was so bad that Abimelech said, go away from us, for you are mightier than we. I don't want you getting ideas that you're going to take over my kingdom. Get out of here. Our next point today is, his promises lead us to walk in the steps of the faithful. Unlike Adam and his wife, we have years of faithful people who've gone on before us, and we walk in their steps. We're called, Peter said, to walk in the steps of Jesus. The text says that Isaac departed from there, they wanted him to leave, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. So he left Gerar and went to the valley of Gerar and set up camp there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So he's restoring the things that his father had done. Why would a person stop up a well other than for spite? Because it is so much work to hand dig a well. I mean, here on the church property, our wells, we, we, I think we hit water at 90-some at feet, and so we went 20 or 30 feet past that. Imagine hand digging that through this rocky soil. A lot of work. And so Isaac re-dug his father's well. He walked in his father's footstep, his father's blessing. And water, if you're ever without it, you'll know this to be a fact. There's a tremendous blessing. You need it to stay alive. You need it to stay clean. You need it to stay protected. You need it to grow your flocks and your herds, and you need it to grow your vegetables. Next point. Receiving God's promises requires being very relentless. Often, the battle you win, you'll have to fight again more than once. It says, Isaac's servants also dug, verse 19, in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. They dig the well, and then people show up and claim it. So he called the name of the place Esek because they quarreled with him. And he moved on. He could have stayed and drank the water of quarreling and had nonstop chaos, but he chose to be a blessing. He had the promise of God, I'm going to be blessed by God, and I do not have to bless myself by standing up for my rights these people need water. I know this is an injustice, but I'm going to turn the other cheek. Isaac was like Jesus in this matter. Verse 21, then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one too. So he called its name Sitna. He could have stood up for his right and stayed there and drank the waters of trouble, the waters of division, and that would not have been a place to peace. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called his name Rehoboth, because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. We've got room. That's the name of that well. Celebrating God's blessing. And so the lesson from this text is the battle you fight and win today, you may have to fight and win tomorrow. 
but do not allow the battle against your selfishness to be lost. Overcome that. Isaac's going to receive the blessings of God because of God, not because of his conniving, not because of his undermining, not because of his becoming envious, but him just being willing to move on and find God's blessings in the next place. It's true. If you're blessed, saints, you're blessed. No one can take it away from you. They can interrupt you temporarily. But if you persevere and continue being faithful, you will reap if you do not become weary in well-doing. Receiving God's promises often requires our being reminded. The Lord shows up and reminds Isaac of his promise again. He went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So they dug another well. Now, this chapter, Genesis 26, is devoted primarily to Isaac. This is the longest group of scriptures about this man's life. And yet it seems rather short, but yet it covers decades of life. In fact, Isaac lived longer than his father. I believe Abraham lived to be 175. Isaac surpassed that. He died around 180 years old. So this trial of faith, this apprehending of God's promises, took place over a long period of time. And so the Lord gave him a reminder. How many need reminding? We all need reminding of God's promises. We're coming down the home stretch. Our next two principles are living by God's promises pays off in the long run. It just does. Don't be discouraged. Abimelech comes to Isaac and finds him with Ahuzeth, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Now, this same thing had happened to Abraham. Abimelech, who's the king of the Philistines, showed up with a commander of the army named Phicol. I believe this is also a title. It means spokesman, literally big mouth. He shows up with general mouth to make a treaty with him. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, verse 28, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. Oh, brother. Since we have done nothing to you but good. Sounds like the earlier Abimelech bragging on how good he was to Abraham, yet he was anything but that. And have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So finally, he wins the hearts of those that were against him. They're in denial of how bad they treated him, but the point is they recognize God's blessing. So did Isaac, you know, turn his back on him and say, get away from me, you cheaters, you rude people, you losers, you liars? No, he accepted the apology however it comes. You know, Jesus said, to make peace with your adversary as quickly as you can. 
lest you show up in court and it cause you a lot of problems. So he made them a feast. Isaac fixes them a big meal, and they eat and drink. Then they arose early in the morning. So it was a late night feast. They probably spent the night, and they rose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, just as had been done with Abraham at the same place. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. The scriptures say, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. Sometimes it can take years. It came to pass, verse 32, the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. It means the well of the oath. The same thing that happened with his father. He just following in his footsteps, did the same thing. To this day, this is a community. Enemies have tried to wipe it out, but it's still there. They call it Beersheba, but it's Beersheba. It's the capital of the Negev Desert. It has more chess champions per capita. I believe chess is like their, their uh, regional sport there. And a lot of witty inventions coming out of this area as well. Our final point is not respecting God's promises leads to bad decisions. If we're going to live by God's promises, we will be protected if we pursue Him and His principles from bad decisions. This is something that Esau didn't do. When he was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So he married two Hittite women, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. No doubt they were a pain in the back to him as well. Why? He's a guy that made bad decisions. He's a guy that didn't contend for God's promises in his life. So let's go to the previous chapter, the last few verses, as we talk about Esau here in conclusion. It says that Jacob cooked a stew. We talked about this last week. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. He was hungry. He was a hunter. And Jacob was a farmer, was a rancher. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. We're going to see it was lentil soup, which there are red lentils, and the soup they make is red. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which is a form of the word Adam. It means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, birthright is a promise. It's a promise because he was the eldest of the, of the two. Being twins, he came out first. And he's promised to have twice the inheritance that his little brother had, unless other siblings were, be, would be born. And then we'd have the twice the inheritance each of them had as, a, as individuals. So currently right here, they just have two kids, which that's all they had. And so the inheritance would be divided into thirds. One third of Isaac's belongings, legacy, would be passed on to Jacob. And two thirds would go to Esau. But here, Esau traded away. Also, it was a position of honor. When Isaac would pass onward, Esau would become the patriarch of the family, the position of authority. And so Jacob values this position. Now, the way he got it isn't exactly honorable, taking advantage of the stupid, his own brother. And he really didn't get to enjoy it to the full as he would have if he had waited on God to do things for him. When we try to help God out, try to 
in the flesh do things to get God's promises fulfilled in our life, it takes shortcuts. It can lead to us not enjoying the fullness of God's blessings. It could lead us the long way around. But Jacob nevertheless says, sell me your birthright as of this day. You know, I'll give you a soup, but give me your birthright. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright for me? Isaac's going to live a long time. And so what good is the birthright doing me now? I'm about to die. And Jacob says, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread. So he went beyond just a bowl of soup and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. Not respecting God's blessings led him to make a bad decision. And he's used it as, a, as an example in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14 tells us to pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. What does a root of bitterness, what does fornicators and profane people have to do with Esau? Well, he sold a big blessing for a bowl of soup. What does a fornicator do? A fornicator is someone who's unfaithful, unfaithful sexually, unfaithful to their spouse or their future spouse or to someone else's spouse. Fornication is sexual activity outside the bonds of holy matrimony. Outside the relationship between a husband and his wife, sexual activity is called fornication. Whether it's homosexual activity or heterosexual activity, it's all fornication. So for a few minutes of pleasure, a person will trade away blessings in their life. People will trade away their health, trade away their future for sexual pleasure. A profane person is a wicked person, a person that doesn't want to live with principles governing them. A bitter person is a person that would trade away peace of mind, joy, their health, God's blessings, because they have a right to be bitter. These people are compared to Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. When the deal was made and he realized he made a mistake, the pain of regret hit him. We're talking about living by God's promises. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing promises. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that you would remind us of the things that you've promised us as individuals. That, Lord, we would stand in faith and govern our lives according to those things that would enable us to pursue the fulfillment of your promises and to resist temptation that would short-circuit the reality of God's blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This man is named Russell Kelso Carter. His blessing to the world 
is a song. He's an unusual man. He was converted at the age of 15. He was in a military school and later went back there in Pennsylvania to be a teacher. He became a minister, an instructor at a college. He developed heart trouble and moved to California to a sheep ranch for three years trying to recover. Went back home at back east, totally exhausted. He was dying. And he went to a healing meeting. This is in the 1800s and was gloriously healed and returned to teach college. And from there he began to write books on healing and some other things happened. He's a rather controversial character. He eventually became a doctor. But his greatest blessing to the world is this song called Standing on the Promises. It goes like this. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing standing on the promises of God. And the chorus is standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see, perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with a spirit sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all and all. I'm standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. This promise is for you. Jesus said it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world so that the world could be saved. The world's already condemned. Just read the newspapers, watch the news. It's nonstop wickedness. We need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And He came and paid the penalty for sin to balance the scales of justice so you and I could be free and become the recipients of the blessings that come to us through the Messiah from the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord God Almighty lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go get him, tigers.